Jones. This show is all about the people behind the science of biotechnology and medical devices. Through the stories of the people, I hope that Lab Rats to Unicorns is able to describe the transformative process of you know, how an idea starts in the lab and eventually becomes a life-saving treatment or a product that, that helps patients with diseases. Life-saving. Life, life Sri Kant is an experienced biotech executive and company builder. Over a 20-year career in life sciences and healthcare, Sri has worked across investing, operational, advisory, and entrepreneurial roles and functions. He's passionate about translating cutting-edge science into therapies that significantly change health outcomes for patients. Before founding BAX, Sri headed the investments and partnerships function at Life Biosciences, where he built a platform that allowed platform-focused companies in the areas of age-related diseases. He also took on operational roles in the portfolio companies driving the corporate development agenda. He's a deal maker, a transaction person. Prior to LifeBio, Sri led early partnering strategy for Pfizer, driving strategic partnerships across different therapeutic areas, technologies, and geographies. He also built Pfizer's early target partnering vehicle and drove academic partnerships and spin-outs to advance novel target platforms. Sri, that's where you and I first met, um, had the pleasure of finally crossing paths. And then just to, to finish up, Sri was also um, early in his career a principal at uh, Boston Consulting Group, advising large pharma, biotech, and medical device companies in areas of corporate development, R&D strategy, M&A, and, and the like. Sri started his career with Ranbaxy Labs in New Delhi, India, and London, and also was a founding member of India's first preventative managed health company. Sri has an MBA from the Indian Institute of Management and an MPH from the Harvard School of Public Health. I can't tell you how thrilled I am to have my, my really good friend Sri Kant on the podcast today. So welcome to the show. John, it's a pleasure. Always a pleasure chatting. Well, uh, why, don't, why don't we jump right in, Sri? If you wouldn't mind, just tell us a little bit about Bax. Why did you start the company and what are you working on at Bax? Yeah, no, Bax is a biotech company. We're focused on the mitochondrial apoptosis pathway, the uh, body's intrinsic way of governing cell life and death. Um, we pull together the world's experts in apoptosis and computational drug discovery, structure based drug design and medical chemistry. And our intent is to really build a company which can extract the full potential of the um, apoptosis pathway. And we're working on a bunch of oncology indications, but uh, we are also looking at neurodegenerative diseases. And as you can imagine, if we can figure out if we can activate um, cell death and use that to combat cancer, we can also inhibit cell death and potentially combat neurodegenerative diseases. So we're playing on both sides of this. Um, it's an area that people have worked on for a long time, but I think um, with some of the expertise that we've built and some of the knowledge that our scientific founders have, we've sort of come, we've, we've, we've understood the whole cycle of how mitochondrial apoptosis works and we, we are able to target most of the proteins within that pathway. No, that's very exciting and uh, obviously cutting edge. And, and what would you say about the science that's, you know, made it more feasible, perhaps, to think about this particular area, looking at, you know, cell suicide in, in, in many ways, a way to think about it for the broader audience. And, you know, but, but understanding the mitochondria and the complexities that go with that, what do you think about the science today that's allowing you to make progress in this promising field? I, I think it's really a lot about understanding how the pro-apoptotic side of the mitochondrial apoptosis pathway works. And let me, let me, let me use an analogy to explain that, John. And I, I works better for me to think about this in a, in a much simpler way. Think, think, think a car, right? I mean, we're driving a car and it has brakes and it has the accelerator. So, um, in order to keep the car moving, in a, at a regular speed and in a safe manner, you want to be using both the brakes and the accelerator in a, in a judicious way. Um, you don't want to be overdoing one versus the other. And, it, and, and a good way to think about uh, a cancer cell for me is I mean, if you're thinking about a normal cell, think about it as a normal car. There are brakes, there are proteins in our body in the mitochondrial apoptosis pathway, call them, I will call them the survival proteins. 
think of them as the brakes. And then there are the death proteins, think of them as the accelerator, right? And you want to use them judiciously. But cancer cell is different. It's not like normal cells. And cancer cells, and, and if you take our analogy, I think about it too. So remember Kelma and Louise and that car on they're about to go down the cliff, right? They, they need to drive this car over the cliff. Yeah, we were just uh, out on spring break on the West Coast, driving the Pacific Coast Highway, and that uh, image popped into my mind as I was driving uh, uh, through Big Sur quite a few times. <laughs> I've driven through that. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Sorry, I took you off track, but keep going. Oh, no, no. no so, so, so what do you tell my news do? If you're just, they're going to drive this car off the cliff. They have to do a couple of things, right? You want to take your brake off, put off the brake, and you want to press down on the accelerator. Now, what's been happening in the field of apoptosis till now is every company that's worked on it has focused on one side of this equation. They've been focusing on the brakes, right? The BCL2 protein, the BCLXL protein, or MCL1, and so on and so forth. Now, and that's, it's been successful to a certain extent because you have an approved drug, you have venetoclax, which, uh, uh, which has been approved for certain hematologic malignancies and so forth. But there are issues of resistance, there are issues of, uh, um, uh, uh, you know, both acquired and intrinsic resistance. It's not applicable across consumers. Now, what we have done, what our scientific founders have done is figured out how to also work on the accelerator side of this car, which is the backs and the back protein. The advantage of doing that is that, you know, the accelerator pretty much is the same in all cancers. We have the BAX protein, which is conserved in all cancers. So we can potentially go and work with, uh, uh, with a large number of tumors, but not restricted to a tumor where a certain break is expressed. I see. The other thing is, you know, we can combine with the breaks. We can combine with the BCL2 inhibitor. We can combine with the BCLXL inhibitor to have a much stronger response in certain resistant cancers. So that's, that's what I mean when we say that we have a more holistic view of the mitochondrial apoptosis pathway. And as we understand how the accelerator part works, we also are figuring out how it works along with the break. So we understand the interactions between these proteins and we're building a system which will allow us to very precisely target specific tumors and specific patient populations within these tumors where we believe a certain combination would be most effective. So that's, it's, it's sort of the holy grail of, you know, how, how do you do precision targeting of these proteins? And that's, that's sort of what we're doing, which is what makes me super excited. We have a pathway that's clinically validated. We know we can make drugs in this pathway um, because a drug has been made, but we've gone one beyond and we're figuring out how to um, manage the resistance part of it, how to be, how to be able to work across many more tumors and so forth. That's a really helpful uh, image and illustration that uh, really hits home and I, I think, you know, gets right to the point of uh, the novelty and the importance of the work that you have underway. As, as you're building, now you've identified that pathway and, you know, the, 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 the hypothesis of um, kind of uh, working on both the accelerator and having the ability to, to, to build in the brakes, like you said, uh, with, with available agents that, that are out there uh, attacking the, the BCL pathway. What, uh, what type of molecules are you making? Are, are these like small molecules that you're using? Is it a chemistry-based approach? Maybe tell us a little bit more about um, your, your, um, the modality that you're working on. It's a, it's, a, it's a small molecule approach, and we have a lot of experience and expertise in this area. And in fact, our scientific founder, Everest, one of our scientific founders, Everest Gavatiot. Well, let me take a step back. The work started with uh, Lauren Wolensky at Dana-Farber and Everest Gavatiot, who was at Dana-Farber and then later moved to Albert Einstein to set up his own lab. And they continued working on this over many years. But they developed small molecules, the very early small molecule activators of the Bax protein. Um, and that would, what they were able to do is show that the Bax protein, which is the death protein we're working on, that it can be targeted and it can be activated. Now we've taken that one step further within Bax where we're developing novel small molecules which have the right medicinal properties, uh, drug-like properties and so forth. What, um, there's a couple of things which made it really hard for most people to do this. One, the whole Bax activation aspect was not well understood. That entire 
um, uh, uh, mechanism of how BACS is activated, how it catalytically starts activating other BACS and so forth was elucidated by Everest and Lauren and it was published recently. Um, the second bit is this protein is conformationally dynamic, which means it keeps changing conformation. So it's super hard mm. to the crystal structure and to target it. Not, it's not the conventional chemistry that we're used to. I see. And this activation aspect and not a inhibition aspect as well. So what it needed was a very different way of approaching um, the medicinal chemistry of one was a lot of uh, a good structural work, but also aided by um, computational simulation, which we've added to our team with um, Yibing Shan, who came on, who's a founder member of DHR Research, but also um, an investor into the company. He's sort of the godfather of computational drug discovery. So he came on board. He loved our approach. He came on board. He also brought his protégés along, so we built a computational drug discovery group, which is very focused on figuring out how we target most of these super complex, conformationally dynamic proteins. And we've had a lot of success with that. Um, so that's sort of the picture, right? We're marrying very deep expertise of the protein and yeah. this path with very novel approaches of targeting yeah. uh, protein in the chemical matter. Very interesting. Yeah. So again, just broadening it out for our audience too. Again, you're by by having new information and new ways to like take a picture of the biology you know by using your approach um you have now a brand new um methodology you can deploy on making the right molecule that is will eventually become that drug that uh you're designing through that computational approach it's it's pretty cool the kinds of work that you know you can do once you understand that that biological target and the crystal structure and, and, and all of that. Now you can build a really precise molecule. Um, and, and in doing that, you're increasing the chances of success, you know, cause that molecule has to travel a long journey, you know, from preclinical discovery, you know, all the way into the, in, into man and, and, and all the way through phase three studies. So it's a, it's a long journey. If you can start with that precision, um, you really, you know, have, uh, you know, a, a, a wide open pathway that can create hopefully great opportunities for uh, for cancer patients down the road. You're absolutely right, John, and you put it really well. I mean, there's a couple of um, components here, right? One is, I, we spoke about, I spoke about this different elements in computational, et cetera. It's, it's a question of how well do we bring them together and how deliberately do we bring them together to solve this problem? And the second bit that you mentioned was, the path that the molecule has to traverse and how hard it is. Drug discovery in itself and development is super hard. One of the advantages we have and one of the reasons why we started working on BACS is there is a path to follow. We know that this is a clinically validated pathway. So there is a blueprint that we can use as we go into the clinic and there is knowledge that we can leverage, um, which is, which is, which is, which is, which is uh, fabulous when your uh, drug discovery uh, development person it changes the risk profile so much for the work that we're doing. That's a great point. And, you know, even just that that validated, you know, clinical target, you know, it becomes important, I'm sure, you know, maybe we uh, switch gears a little bit and talk about your successful fundraise yeah. and, you know, mitigating your risk, you know, as you head toward the clinic, I'm sure that's an important piece of, you know, the puzzle for you in terms of your own team's confidence that if you can get the right molecule, you know, you have a, you have really a clear path into the clinic in a validated um, area. But contrasting that to, you know, a brand new target that no one has ever uh, validated in the human population, um, it sounds really good, you know, in, in on paper. But, you know, in your case, you know, you, you can really make a, uh, a more educated bet that if you can make that precision molecule, you have a greater chance of having the therapeutic effect in the human population. And I bet that resonated with... Uh, with your partners and investors, but but tell me more. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And I'll take one step back, even before talking about partners and investors, when I started back, right? I mean, there was a reason for why we went after this target and, and the science and why I thought uh, this is the company that I wanted to build. I mean, at, at this point in my life, I've worked in pharma for many years and so on, and uh, uh, all of the things that you mentioned is, you know, someone 
uh, I'm on the uh, uh, side of 40 where I say, like, what, what do I want to do with my life? Right? And what do I want to sort of live as a legacy? And for me, it was super important that what I work, now, work on now has the potential to become a drug that I really believe that I can make a drug out of this. This wasn't about, you know, whether I can, what's a, what's a good story that can resonate for me to raise capital? Capital is going to be important for doing what we do, but can, can I make a drug? And part of that is this thesis. You have a clinically validated pathway. You have a novel target within this pathway. It's downstream of the previous um, uh, approved, drug, approved target. So if we can come up with chemical matter that can do what we expect it to do with this target, we can make a drug. Now, that was super important for me. And then you pull, pull together the right team. And as I got the right team together around me, and people came in for that reason, right? My chief scientific officer, Jesse English worked for 25 years across various big pharma and uh, uh, absolute uh, wonderful leader in oncology drug discovery development. She saw the targets, like she's super picky about targets. So I the people who've done drug discovery development for many years are, are like that. Like, no, I, I, I hear all that you have to say, but it's targets. It sucks too. She loved the targets. So like, okay, this is what, this is something that we can do. Uh, we can make a drug with. Right. And that's it. And to your point, that's, that's the story that resonates with investors and partners. And when we, when we had this, the questions were, will you actually be able to drug it? Will, why would you succeed while, you know, no, why hasn't a uh, big pharma done this before? And why do you think you guys are going to be able to do it? Right. I mean, so some of those questions, those are questions we can answer. But the thing though is, uh, it already resonated with investors and partners. In fact, I can remember uh, times when we were having this discussion where our partners would tell us, uh, when we were having this conversation, that would tell us, like, oh, this is right, it's a novel target in a clinically validated pattern. Like, this sort of repeating my story, which, 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 yeah. which, which, is, which, is, which is great. I don't have to tell the story too many times. Well, I had the uh, honor of, you know, your your transition where you were looking, you know, for the right opportunity. And, you know, we were, you know, huddling at that time. It was around the, the same time frame I was launching uh, Portal yeah. Innovations. And um, you were uh, conceiving, you know, uh, what, what has now become back. So I feel kind of lucky in uh, getting the chance to kind of watch it uh, play out in real time. And, you know, I also remember that uh, we were doing uh, – a lot of those early conversations and getting the benefit of kind of hearing where your thoughts were around what you were going to pursue and what you were going to build. But it was in the heart of uh, the pandemic. Um, and uh, I, I just wanted to know from your perspective, um, and first of all, you know, you, <laughs> whenever I see you, you always see, you're always smiling, you always seem happy. And I wanted to know, you know, what was it like raising um, your round kind of through the pandemic? And, uh, you know, uh, as as a generally very you know happy upbeat person, did you have any moments of doubt uh, when you were running through that process of raising capital? I, I very much remember those days, and thanks for all the advice. And I'm glad we stayed um, you know over time connected and sharing thoughts and wisdom. Very helpful. It's um, I think I think entrepreneurship is hard, has yeah. a lot of joys, um, but we also live and die every other day. <laughs> Um, yeah. So talking to like-minded entrepreneurs, people who've done this, um, it's all—it's always fun, and it's just great to hear from you. So on the on the pandemic, you know, I, we were luckier than most, to be to be honest. I mean, I was, we were living in the city, and then we moved to—we had a place in the Catskills. We were in New York City, and we had a place in the Catskills, which was our weekend home. We went there and sort of never went back to the city. So when I think about a lot of people and how the pandemic affected them, we had a we had a great place to sort of um, to live and weather that lockdown period. But it also gave me time to think more critically. I said a little while ago that it was very important for me that what I do had to become a drug. It gave me that time to reflect, think through what I wanted to work on. I looked at various um, um, opportunities and, 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 and science and then narrowed down on back. Um, was it hard? Yes, it was hard during the pandemic to raise funds, but I think, um, we also, um, uh, we've been very successful to be able to, one, get to an industry partnership and also, uh, raise a series A in a matter of a uh, little over a year from the time we started. 
I think there are a couple of things which contributed to that. It would have been much harder if I was starting from scratch, right? If I was a 25-year-old trying to break into the pharma industry and I don't have the relationships and I'm sitting in a room trying to cold call people, uh, the advantage I had was that, that tool, I, I had relationships across most pharma companies and from my yep. life and with investors, with uh, um, uh, scientific leaders in the pharma company. So it, it was always, it was easy to get that conversation. And in some ways, I would also argue that it was helpful in some people had sometimes undivided attention, should I say, you know, you'd get on the sure. phone, get on a Zoom call, have a long conversation rather than do the uh, partnering meetings where you meet people for 20 minutes or try to impress them in, in, in one of those meetings, right? So it was good. Um, there were moments of doubt, were there moments of doubt, were there challenges? Not so much doubt, to be honest. Challenges, yes. There were times when you think that you're very close to a funding and you think you have the uh, right um, uh, group lined up for the right reasons, and then suddenly you realize, like, maybe no, maybe not. Right, so you might have yeah, to go back right. to the drawing board. Like I said, it goes it goes up and down. Doubt, not so much, to be honest. I I all I, I love the signs. The signs made yeah. a lot of sense. Group sure. of people that I was pulling together around me uh, who were excited about it made a lot of sense. So I figured sooner or later we'll get there. It was more um, uh, uh, challenging to find the perfect group to work with, the right investors, the right partners. Which, as you would know, having done this for many years, is crucial for it building is. a company. Yeah, no, that, that's right. I mean, the money is a commodity. It's really who you're working with on the other side of the, the money. That partner is so critical, especially, you know, over the life of, of building, you know, a, a very complicated uh, company. You need the right, the right types of partners that can, that can help you um, over a long uh, journey. And then uh, yeah. I know you've, you've, you were just, just a stellar outcome for you with regards to your fundraise. And congratulations again on um, the success of that on both the, the strategic interactions you have with um, you know the partners that came into that mix, and then also um, the the financial investors that came in. So congratulations! It's uh, such a great outcome. And maybe just as you're um, continuing to to describe the the build, you know, uh, build, building a biotech company is is challenging. And you've already kind of shared some of the early building blocks uh, with with the audience. But you know, can you kind of d talk about? some of the techniques you're using to put the team together, the pieces together. A lot of it, you know, for this phase um, seems pr pretty well built out, but, you know, what are the things that you have to think about when you're building a, a biotech company in terms of putting the right pieces together to keep advancing? Yeah, I, 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 I think for me, it starts and cliched as this might sound um, a little bit is, it starts with purpose and 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 the mission of what we're going to do and putting uh, and I keep going back to the saying we need to focus on making drugs and it starts with understanding that there are patients there is clear unmet yeah. need in the world and and your true north is whether are we are going to make a significant difference to these patients and we do that by making drugs there are other things that happen along the path of it which are the financial considerations all of that all of those things are in some ways in my head, there are things that need to be done. There, there's noise, but the final outcome is the patients and the drugs that we can make. And that's our mission that we need to be very clear about. And as we build the company, long as we hold that uh, sacred and that is the true north, that will guide our strategic decisions, whether we think, oh, is this the person that we should partner with? Is this the uh, right investor? Is this, uh, uh, does it make sense to go after XYZ target and so on and so forth? All of those can be traced back to what's your true north and how are you making those decisions right? And the second bit for me was also clearly articulating the vision. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, the vision for Bax is we see ourselves as the apoptosis company. I mean, we understand this pathway better than anyone else in this pathway of life, cell life and cell death, and being able to really um, uh, uh, impact it on both directions, we believe we can be, we, we can be the apoptosis company. And that for me is the vision. And then the next thing becomes to get the right people. Yeah. We have the right signs. Uh, we have the right mission. Now we get the right people, right? Um, and and that's what we've done over the last uh, eight months. And to a large extent, it's been about 
for us, it's been about people that we know who have worked with us before, who have a specific skill set which directly impacts the problem that we're trying to solve, whether it be computational drug discovery, whether it be structural biology, whether it's medicinal chemistry, whether it's specific oncology, uh, drug discovery experience, protein science. So we've, we've been able, between me and Jesse, my CSO, we've been able to build a team of people who we like, who have a similar um, true north, who have, uh, 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 who, have um, uh, who we believe will work really well as a team. No, that's great, and uh, and and the right recipe um, for certain. And just as you were describing that, um, and also knowing that you're a, a bass guitar player, it almost sounds like you're putting a band together. Uh, you know, people that you've played with before. You know that uh, you know have certain uh, skills. You know, a guitar player, a, a drummer. You know, a bass player, a harmonica player. Uh, just as you were talking, uh, it just sounded a little reminiscent of what it must be like to put a band together. Absolutely, totally, and I. I, I, I I mean, the other the other thing is that you think about when I play. Uh, you spoke about bass. I play the electric bass, but I also play the upright. And for me, the thing about a small biotech when you start off, you have the direction and you have the mission all the way. It's a bit like a jazz band, to be honest. You're mm-hmm. trying to, um, you know, you you you're improvising. You're learning so much in the early stage, uh, but you you do have a you do have a. Uh, framework mm-hmm. within which to work, but you need to be super adaptable as well and mm-hmm. work well with teams. Well, it's a great analogy. It's, it, it but then fun. that early team has to be kind of good at like reading each other and so trust Absolutely. and yeah. So a lot of the, re, the the fact that you know that that founding team, if you will, you know, and and the, what you've established so far. Um, the ability to kind of know each other's, you know, um, you know, strengths and challenges, and and be able to work together from the get go is is a really important element. Um, it seems to me in building a a success. I'm, I'm sure any successful company, but even more so, you know, when you're setting out on a long journey uh, like bringing a drug to the marketplace. Yeah, and and that gets exacerbated, or rather, that that becomes more important during the time that we're. End, right? With during the pandemic, trying to pull a team together, True. which is partly in Boston, partly in New York. And then we're not meeting each other in person at all. And we're doing everything through Zoom. Um, the fact that people have known each other before and worked with each other before and trust each other and see a larger purpose, that makes a huge difference. Otherwise, it's so hard. I mean, even, even when you meet people, communicating is communication is so hard between people. So if it's, if it's, if they, if it's strangers trying to build a team together over Zoom. Yeah. How hard Absolutely. Yeah, no, great, great point. And, you know, just maybe just in some of your formative years, I know that a lot of your academic training was maybe focused a little bit more around business, your first role, you know, kind of mm-hmm. at coming out, you know, and working in India at Ranbaxy and then kind of then onwards into to uh, um, Boston Consulting Group. What what made you find your way into biosciences innovation in the first place? Yeah. It's, a, it's sort of in some ways a reverse journey. I've heard of people, you know, um, start in the lab and then decide to branch out and then take on more of the uh, commercial, uh, move towards the commercial side, right? Um, I, I don't, I don't, I, I can try, I don't know the exact, um, uh, uh, it, it's kind of hard to take uh, uh, exact moments where I made those decisions, but I think it's been over time a gradual move towards um, the science, um, towards the early science. I started off as a consultant advising biopharma and corporate um, mergers, um, acquisitions, integrations, larger R&D strategy, and so forth, and then worked at Pfizer for many years, which was around portfolio strategy. But what attracted me when I was at portfolio strategy is thinking, I was looking at where do you invest and how do you invest? And suddenly I started thinking around, how is this innovation that we invest in created and how can I help drive that? And part of that involved going earlier and then going into um, uh, looking at partnerships with academia, early stage um, partnerships with small biotech for driving that for Pfizer um, and so forth. It got me more and more interested in the very early stage of how do, 
how how can how can academia work even more closely with industry to jointly create validate targets and transform them into therapeutics because there's 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 always a little bit of a gap right when you think about academia there's if you talk to folks in industry they say you know there's so many there's so much work that happens in academia which is great but so much of it is not reproducible so you need to you know uh, do the work all over again you talk to academia you say like we've gotten it to the place that we need to we expect industry to take it forward from here but uh, but there's still uh, a little bit of a gap and who's going to uh, actually bridge that and that was that was the area in which i was working both for Pfizer and then later when i joined life i was looking to start companies in in areas of science like autophagy or senescence which 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 are really um bridging that gap between great ideas and uh, hypothesis and getting them to the validated stage and then uh, translation into therapeutics. So sort of a long answer, but I think it was more the fascination of early science and mm-hmm. the noise drew me from where I was in the larger picture coming on. But I think having a bit of an exposure across the yeah. value chain allows me to think more expansively right now about what something could be. Yeah, and I would think that that, as you describe it, kind of a you know a, a reverse uh, journey, uh, however one would look at that. Um, I would imagine that your experience, you know, at Pfizer or even in your consulting roles uh, of kind of being at that commercial level of understanding what it's going to take at the earlier stage to qualify, if you will. Um, and I mean that in the sense of, you know, the, the, the molecule, the program, the, the robustness of the clinical data, you know, to be, to be really worthy, you know, of, of taking to patients and, and getting it all the way to the market. Um, is that true? You know, just your, your ability to kind of spot, uh, uh, technologies, I, I would I would um, be willing to bet that you know you're going to be more effective having had those commercial experiences in terms of knowing the unmet need and then working back upstream to see all right what are those unique opportunities and and uh, in so many ways the way you described your arrival you know at Bax uh, and and looking at that particular uh, pathway and target. Um, to what extent was it informed by just your experiences um, in big pharma? Sure, to a large extent, to a large extent, because it was, I mean, there's a couple of things, like what those experiences in big pharma and, and on all those years, I both consulting to big pharma and being in big pharma, building companies for big pharma does give me a couple of things. One, it's a very practical, realistic lens to where to, to the early part of the science, right? When I'm evaluating facts or evaluating any science, I think in terms of uh, what is the what is the path uh, take in take, taking the science and turning it into a drug that can go to patients, right? Whatever we know, uh, all the steps it needs to traverse. So, do I really believe this technology or this science has the legs to get there? And what can I do to drive it? That's one. The second thing is having been there and knowing how. This is this is not a journey that you undertake alone, right? You're going to need partners, you're going to need investors, you're going to need a whole group. It takes a huge village to get one drug done. But knowing how future partners, whether it be pharma, investors, later stage, or public markets, how would people think about this science and how do you position the science and how do you um, uh, 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 forge those relationships, right? Those become important. Since I've done it from the other side, it allows me now to think of who are the right people to talk to and what's the conversation to be had. Um, so those are, I think those are a couple of things which are which the large pharma and the uh, larger industry experience came in. Yeah, and you, I mean, you're a master at strategic transactions and, and partnering. And, you know, is there any one element that you think is a part of that skill base? Just trying to think about our audience here and, you know, inviting, you know, different uh, people that perhaps weren't thinking about a biotech pathway, but, you know, maybe even have a business background that aren't scientists, but could be really uh, successful in building partnerships, for example. Is there any one skill or kind of functional um, training that you found a, a key part of your toolbox, you know, in being successful in partnering and, and strategic uh, partnerships? Yeah, I don't know about a backdrop, but, but but I think about, I, I do believe 
though, in the power of partnerships, like I alluded before. Partnerships are really important to 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 um, uh, uh, get the get this get the science to patients. Now, um, I think there's a couple of things. One is getting the right partners, and part of that is understanding what the incentives of your potential partners or investors are and whether they're very aligned with yours, right? I mean, there's, there's all, there are times when you're a small biotech and you're looking to um, uh, uh, raise funds and there are times that you could be desperate. Money is money, right? Who's the first person that comes across and who can put in the money to help us and who can drive it? But it's also, uh, it, 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 I think it becomes super important to also evaluate whether their incentives are in line with yours. And I'll give you an example. Take for if I think about various partners, the so pharma is a good partner for me very earlier on, even as an investor, and as a, as a, and I use the word investor partner interchangeably, because uh, the economics of a pharma company are driven by whether they make a drug or not, right? And I, if my goal is to make a drug, uh, we have we have aligned incentives, so that's a good place to start with in the first place. Now that's a good point. Now then it becomes a question of how 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 do you get the other things in place, and 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 are all other incentives aligned? And then there's all of your negotiations and so on and so forth. And one of the things that I found is trust becomes a super important element here because if you're talking, you're doing negotiations and you're working through term sheets, you're working through various pieces, and you're not going to agree on pretty much everything there, right? I mean you're going to uh, various points where there's going to be dispute, but you're not going to solve that in an agreement all the time. So are you able to believe that your partner is going to behave in an X way or Y way because their incentives are aligned in that direction and and then move forward towards closing that deal? And how, how well are you able to make those judgments, right? So those things make the difference sometimes in whether you can create a deal or not. And finally, I'd say a lot of things don't happen because we're sweating the small stuff. Um, so if your incentives are aligned, if there is a good level of trust, um, some of the smaller details, while in the largest, it's just still important. The smaller things, don't sweat the small stuff. Let's get the let's get the yep. partnership in place and go forward. I I, I remember um, piece of advice that a good friend of mine said, you know, when you're starting to think about these collaborations and partnerships, you're thinking of what happens if it breaks up and how, how do you split things up and all of that. It's sort of like, you know, thinking of, uh, um, uh, 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 you know, what happens in the case of a divorce before you're getting married, right? I mean, you want to go again with the right intentions and expect that this is going to last for a long period of time and, you will, uh, and you'll work things out. And that's what I see what a partnership should be. Oh, that's great. No, very, very useful and uh, very, very wise thoughts. You know, you know, as you started your journey, as I understand it, you began in India and, and England, and maybe you could talk a little bit about the process and what triggered your move to, to the U.S. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I was actually an entrepreneur in India. I started, I was working on a proactive managed care startup in India a long time ago. And I, as all entrepreneurs, um, uh, I'd like to say at some point when things don't work and that for me, it was, you know, we were ahead of our time and <laughs> we didn't get the traction we needed. But anyways, when I was doing that, I, uh, the startup was in the area of um, uh, healthcare services and I worked also in certain areas where it was super hard to get access to health services to underserved populations. So when I came to the U.S., it was actually to do a PhD in international health economics. Huh. As things turned out, my funding didn't last as long. And then I moved on from there for my master's, ended up doing another startup in Westchester, and then went to the Boston Consulting Group. But my original goal when I came to the U.S. was when I went to the Harvard School of Public Health was really to work on um, creating novel ways for access for medicine to underserved populations. Special thanks to our sponsors, World Business Chicago. Connect with World Business Chicago, the city's economic development agency, and discover more about the city's vibrant life science ecosystem. 
from Chicago's global universities and research institutions to its diverse pipeline of skilled talent and vibrant neighborhoods, as well as its cutting edge lab and office space, Chicago has the fuel for your company's success. There's no better place to build a life science company than in Chicago. Well, you know, but when I think about, you know, moving one from one place to another, you know, beginning again, um, it that seems like the ultimate risk-taking move and experience. But how would you compare that move uh, where you kind of left things behind and began it began anew over in the U.S. Uh, to the entrepreneurial risk-taking mindset? Are there similarities or is that uh, off base? I, th- I think there are similarities, right? I mean, there's a, there's a couple of things. When the, uh, it takes and to move, uh, and I'll, I'll take one more step back. It's, uh, I'm, prob- I'm the only person in my family in India to have not just um, left the country, but left the state. Um, so, and I don't have relatives, immediate relatives in the US or, uh, or even outside India, which is, for me, an entrepreneurial venture in itself, just moving. Yep. Sort of lends, um, I think, more logically for me to do an entrepreneurial venture now. You would, Im- I would, I guess what I'm trying to say is, um, uh, it, it, people who are willing to take that, make that kind of a move from a, um, uh, overall life perspective, um, like I did, would probably be more open to entrepreneurs and it's more, it's more a straightforward path. Um, the only, this, only other thing I'd say is the rest of my family are academics, mm-hmm. pretty much. Um, my parents are academics, my brother's an academic, my spouse's mm-hmm. uh, parents are academics or siblings are academics. So, um, it, it, the, the one thing that I've always thought about personally. It's like, how did I end up not going into an path <laughs> and end up going into a business? I don't have answers. It's just, <laughs> I guess the way we're wired and, 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 it, and to your question before of why did I go back to science from, um, from the commercial side, it's probably sort of about wanting to shape things. So hold it in my hands and wanted to shape things. Um, and maybe that's the thread, right? No, that's fascinating, and yeah. and thanks for sharing uh, your perspective on that. And you know, I maybe just as you were walking that that journey, and just even in in the big picture, you know, the the importance of you know um, the, going through the process and having the experiences uh, involves setbacks and you know um, challenges al- along the way. What what can you share with you know up and coming next generation entrepreneurs that would like to follow in your footsteps um, as they you know as as we guide them on you know both the joys of entrepreneurship but you know some of the challenges and the sobering aspects that that go with uh, that journey as well. Yeah, I I think um, a couple of things. One is there are going to be challenges, right? There's going to be ups and downs in, 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 in this journey. And one of the things that I found harder to do, I would say earlier on in my career, is how do you handle a temporary failure or rejection or whatever? And, and the immediate reaction would be to, it's part, part of it is denial and say like, oh no, it was my fault and it was XYZ, um, the world is conspiring against me and all of those, all of that kind of stuff. And maybe people are, um, you know, uh, I'm not thinking about this right, I have the right path, but it's not. But I, o- over time, it's become more introspective as you think about failure and it's, and it's less personal and it's, um, it's more about more about the question of why didn't this work and it was mm-hmm. why was I unsuccessful it's like why didn't this whole process work and who, what can we do to make it different right and I, I can't say that it's um, I've figured this out tonight yeah but but I think that's the big difference for me now and I'm also more peaceful at the um, with thinking if you know when something doesn't work I'm more Calm and whether reacting to it on a more personal basis and take it like, okay, this is a this is an insult to me or an affront to me. But 
<laughs> there's a rejection or something's not working. Yeah, I've I've found that same thing over the course of my journey as well. Um, just that maybe earlier on, just the ability to decouple the company or the 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 the, the program or the product, you know, from from me as an individual, yeah. uh, I found more difficult early, early in the journey, and it's something you have to work on all the time. As you said, we're we're still not perfect. It's something we still we're we're humans. We're emotional, and uh, you know, their entrepreneurship in, implies you know uh, per, being a personal. It's 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 uh, it's it's a person that's getting it going, taking a risk, and so especially early on, but. As as the company grows and develops, it's no longer about the individual, and the individual, um, you know, at the core, it's really about the company and the team. And and successful companies begin to decouple, you know, that original person uh, from from the company, and that's what allows companies to grow and scale. So I think in knowing or learning that over my <laughs> my uh, career, and and not always doing it well, but learning, you know, maybe more gracefully today. Um, that definitely allows scalability to occur. Uh, and I think in the name of, you know, building something bigger, um, I think that that is a, a great lesson is decoupling the, the personal from the, 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 the setback or, or whatever the case might be and not being defensive or combative, um, is, is a tricky thing to learn early on. Well, I think a lot has to do with, you know, ego and part of it is, um, and that's also driven by how secure you are with who you are, right? And I, part of that, I think, comes with age and after having done a bunch of things. And I can think back, you know, when I came to the U.S. first, and you know, it's a new new country, new phase, even classroom was different than what it used to be in India. And then I worked with people, and then I probably take pretty much everything anyone said, what do they think of me? Um did I say the right thing in this meeting? Or how should I behave in this meeting? How do I impress people? And do I, but over time, it's been, I think, uh, I care less about that and more focused on the, uh, less focused on me, but more focused on the uh, work and the problem and what we're trying to solve. And that makes a huge difference. It's sort of a learning curve for all of us. Well, one of the things I've noticed too along the the, the, the pathway has been finding other, you know, like-minded people, um, build, building the network, building uh, a personal community, you know, that, that you can kind of walk walk with and share some of the yeah. joys and setbacks along the way. And, you know, nowadays we call that ecosystem. And, uh, you know, I know early in my career, I didn't think any anything of the word ecosystem. Um, I, I didn't think we were in the ecology business, but the more I look at it today, and we've compared notes on this, the importance of um, entrepreneurial or in in, in an even more uh, industry-focused way, life sciences ecosystems uh, do become important. And, and there can be more, maybe more accelerated learning if you're surrounded by people that can counsel, whether they're mentors or service providers or venture capitalists uh, or, or just, you know, uh, Repeater entrepreneurs that kind of have been cool. been through it before. But can you comment around you know what you're seeing in um, the ecosystems that you're surrounded by? I know you've been you know kind of part of the New York ecosystem as well as Boston. Any comments around the importance of ecosystem and maybe just a a comment around how um, you know the the New York bio, biotech ecosystem, for example, is evolving. Yeah. No, I, I, I think it's absolutely crucial. And part of the learning, some of the things that I spoke about now getting to, how do you handle challenges? How do you, how do you survive in a challenging environment, which is um, uh, uh, in biotech, which is an entrepreneurial environment in biotech, is being able to learn from other entrepreneurs, being able to receive the support that you can from people who've done it before, people who can... Um, bring in specific capabilities to bear on your problem. And that is what the ecosystem really is, right? And, and one of the things that drove the development of Boston and San Francisco is uh, one, to start with the base of great academic institutions. But then when you combine that with the uh, capital and, and, and sophisticated investors coming in and working with these academic institutions and that drove the activity there. And once that ecosystem was built, it sort of creates um, a, a catalytic effect. And then, you know, now you have these two wonderful hubs and what you're doing in Chicago 
And I remember the first conversation we had when we were at the Polsky Center and then in San Francisco when we met and we were talking about this and we continued to talk about it and what you're doing now with Portal as well and the, helping build these ecosystems or helping to get people together, discuss, share ideas. I think that makes a, that makes a huge, huge difference. I would love to see more and more of these quality even micro ecosystems, should I say, because uh, San Francisco and Boston are sort of gargantuan at this point in time. They're yes. overflowing. I think there is a lot of space and a lot of places that exist in uh, 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 Chicago, obviously, New York has been um, uh, trying for a long time and is, I think, um, uh, on its way and so on and so forth. The building is crucial. It just allows us to tap into great science from different places, from all of the institutions in these places, but also provide alternative um, uh, uh, space for biotech to thrive and grow. Um, I'm a huge fan. You talk about New York. I think New York's got a uh, great institutions, it's got the right people and it's moving in the right direction. Still a way to go, I think, to get to where a Boston or a San Francisco would be. I think we, there is still an opportunity for more management talent, more critical mass to be accumulated there when, uh, so you can have more regular company formation and more uh, uh, activities, but I think it's on the it's on the right path. Well, another form of ecosystem and support group is family. I know your family is important to you, and can you comment around, you know, your your choice to be an entrepreneur, and are they supportive of your entrepreneurial aspirations? <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was it was an interesting one, right? I mean, we also had a, my wife and I had a um, baby, and when I did embark on my entrepreneurial venture. She was six months old uh, with a new baby during the uh, pandemic and decided that they'll move out, they'll go into the mountains in the Catskills and now I'm going to start a new company and that's what I'm going to do. It was, it was not the thing that I think my wife wanted to hear. <laughs> <laughs> like, all right, now what? Um, <laughs> but but it's, a, it's, it's been wonderfully supportive and overall our family because um, I think one of the things that an ecosystem, like you said, in the same way, families built on is trust and confidence in each other and knowing that you, you know what you're doing. And, and then if one of us has a passion and that is important. I mean, that's the one governing word, right, for a thing. If you have a passion and a goal, and you know, it, the rest of it, like I said, no, we'll figure it out. But if that, if that passion is... Um, strong enough, we'll, we'll, it's, it's important for all of us. And that, so that was, I had a lot of support and then being, you know, setting up a company and saying like, I'm not going to get paid for a while till I go and find the funding. It's not worth, and you've been there a few times. It's not a popular discussion. <laughs> so, so uh, you know the importance of that. But it's been great, but now, um, you know, at the end of it, we'll all, we're going to make drugs. And what I get to say, and this yeah. is what I said at that point when we were talking about it, um, my six-month-old is soon gonna. At some point, she's gonna. At that point, six-month-old is gonna grow up and say, "Like Dad, what do you do?" And I, I remember when I was working in consulting, and my parents in India were asking, "So, what do you do?" And like, I, I had so much trouble explaining to them what. <laughs> <laughs> Your elevator pitch was yeah. complicated. Yeah. I'm like, now it should be easy and I, my daughter is going to be young and I'm like, I, I need to be able to tell her that I make drugs and what I'm doing. <laughs> drugs. That's a simple answer. I don't want to say. <laughs> so let's, let, let me work on this. But, you know, that, it's that, been great. That's great. Well, the world uh, appreciates your family's commitment to supporting you and moving down this pathway and, and what, you're, what you're offering the world. So keep, keep going. Um, we're, I know we're almost out of time, but just a couple last questions. Um, you know, building the talent pool in biotech is really important, you know, as, as our aspirations as an industry are to continue to, to grow and scale. But uh, we know the war for talent is uh, it really just, um, it's fierce and intense and insatiable in so many ways. Uh, so we have to find a way to uh, train the next generation. And in, in so doing, you know, we won't be able to really build viable uh, long-term strategies if we're not 
building very diverse teams uh, with different types of talents. Do you have any thoughts, uh, maybe even around backs and just things you think about as to how to how how we can encourage you know a more diverse uh, pool of talent um, for the benefit you know of of our industry, um, in addition to the for the benefit of a of a new growing workforce that um, you know could be exposed to these opportunities. Yeah, now that's that's not something that's very close to my heart and also even more practically um, uh, uh, from a business standpoint as well. Um, one of the things I'll say about backstrike, and this is this is an important thing, is in order to crack this problem of tackling these uh, dynamically, uh, conformationally dynamic, hard-to-drug proteins, we, it wasn't a straightforward path. We needed to bring in capabilities which were tangential, should I say, in some places. Um, and that for me is like bringing in diverse skill sets and ensuring that they work together very well. I mean, I've, I've known of, I, I know of companies where we talk about computational drug discovery, but um, uh, in, 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 which is a great thing to say, but how applied is it and how how closely working is it with uh, with your traditional uh, 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 drug discovery development expertise, right? And for that, for us, it was crucial that anything that we bring in work 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 really closely well together. And that's the culture we look to instill in our team, and that's what we started with. And it certainly helped that we got in people that had worked with each other before and who who had the same line of thinking. But to start with, it was. Um, we wanted to make sure that we were bringing in um, uh, uh, these diverse elements, and that and that diversity is not just from a perspective of uh, skill set, but it also uh, from a perspective of race, gender, health. Because we just wanted to bring in a group of people who who have a lot to contribute, in which I'm proud to say we're from all all of those aspects. We're doing really well um, on the on the back front. It, it also, I think, becomes incumbent on a lot of us to, to the point that you made as entrepreneurs, as leaders, as um, uh, biotech, to inculcate that kind of uh, thinking overall, just from the perspective of growing the community and being, making opportunities accessible across um, uh, to, to, to deserving people. So it's a, it's but, but what... What a great example of why it's in the economic interest of yeah. the of the companies um, and the teams that make up those companies to have people looking at problems from a different perspective, and w- without which, perhaps you wouldn't have cracked cracked that uh, you know st- structural biology problem. You know? No, I absolutely, absolutely. In fact, a couple of our um, when even when we built our scientific advisory board, right. It wasn't about bringing in people, only people who know about hypothesis. We had those. Uh, we had two people who were the uh, uh, forefront of the uh, 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 field. Then we brought in two clinicians, Ross Levine and in, in, in number Sloan Kettering, Amit Varma at um, Montefiore, who are clinicians working on hematologic malignancy. So bring in that perspective. In addition, we brought in Pat Russo, who is um, uh, who's run phase one clinical trials for a long time, run fail um, uh, phase one center, who pro- brings in the aspect from a trial perspective. But a couple other people that I mentioned is Lonnie Wu and Steve Altschuler in UCSF. Now, these guys are mathematicians hmm. and computational biologists, system biology. So they, they take a completely different approach and they haven't worked in hypothesis, but what they bring in here is a very different systems biology thinking to hypothesis problem. And that for me is key because when we bring in this kind of expertise from some of the world leading experts, then that allows us to take a path which people haven't thought about when we're looking for right. this problem. And that's, that I think is going to be key to our success. And that's why when I think about uh, the mitochondrial apoptosis pathway and say that I believe we are going to be the leaders in this pathway, it's because we're able to harness the power of these diverse approaches and bring it to bear very deliberately on this pathway. It's not about pulling all of this because it's a cool thing to say, but is it very specifically relevant to the problem at hand? And that was very important to me and that's how we built this company. That's really cool. True innovation. Um, and then my last question really is just kind of 
uh, you know, back to the future, if you had an opportunity to make a recommendation to your 16-year-old self, what would that <laughs> recommendation be? <laughs> I, I, I mean, there's a couple of things. One was, I think the biggest one would be to be a bit more out there. I've always felt that I had the confidence that I knew and confidence in my capabilities, but there was, there's always this thing about being a little more timid. And I think part of it is cultural, part of it is, you know, always going to a new place and figuring out, you know, how do I fit in with the new crowd and how do you, um, how do you make yourself known and how like, would people care? What would people think? And when you get, for me, when I'm on this side of 40, it's more like, it doesn't really matter. I don't really need <laughs> that much, right? I mean, it's. A, yeah. I, I, I wish there is some way to. If I think about my daughter now, I'd probably say, like, don't worry about what people are thinking about you as long as you're comfortable and you know what you want. The rest of it will work itself together. That's probably the one thing bigger than. I mean, there's a lot of things that I'd love to, you know, <laughs> figure out and tweak here and there and all of that. But that's the one big thing. To, Yep. No, well, that that's that's great advice. Um, but I can certainly say you're doing big things, and uh, I'm really excited to see the next chapter unfold for you and for Bax. And really, uh, as I said at the opening, really value our friendship and look forward to continuing to build our partnership together. And um, as I said, looking forward to seeing success continue for you and the company. So thanks for the time today. Thank you, John. Much appreciated. And I'm hoping that, you know, we'll continue our conversations, but also we should do this NAPA thing um, soon. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah. No, uh, the NAPA sounds like a good idea. Well, let's let's put something together there and, uh, you know, we'll find some milestones to celebrate um, together out there. I look forward to it. Look forward to it. Thanks for joining us today. It was another great episode. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with our guest today and were inspired the way I was. Looking forward to reconvening again in two weeks. Please visit our website at labratstounicorns.com. We welcome any of your comments, feedback, ideas. If you want me to ask certain questions of guests or you have ideas of people that we should be interviewing. That is all goodbye.